But you know, over these, uh, these previous three weeks, we've made an attempt at, uh, at understanding and recapturing a, a back-to-basics awareness of our Christian faith and really a conscious reconnection with a classic, historic, biblical worldview. And, and we went ahead and defined what that was. Remember, we said a worldview uh, in its most basic form is simply the lens through which you look at reality and through which you uh, consider every choice and every decision about whatever issue you may be facing uh, as you and I seek to navigate this reality that we find ourselves in. And we've been doing that these last few weeks through the vehicle of our weekly psalm text, text whose poetic language circles our attention back to the foundations of our faith and to the fundamentals of our relationship with God and with each other. And in the process of that, what we've, I think that we've been doing is really focusing in our worldview lens by considering uh, four questions, four questions that every worldview must answer, and those are the questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. So origin, where did I come from? Meaning, why am I here? Morality, how do I know what's right and what's wrong? And destiny, what happens to me after I die? Which, as you maybe already guessed, is the the question that we're going to be considering today in Psalm 107. And so if you're joining us for the first time, uh, we've been doing this long expository series through the book of Psalms, and uh, for those of you that are really keen observers, if you notice, this is the first psalm of the last of the five books in the collection of Psalms. If you guys are looking in your Bible, it may say uh, book five or have some other annotation there. Uh, So we're in the home stretch, guys. Oh, and something else I forgot. I made this into a responsive reading for you guys. So when there's a a stanza that's repeated here, uh, verse six, verse 13, verse 19, and verse 28 that are in yellow. And I'm going to have you guys uh, read that response as we go along. So be looking out for that. Uh, And Psalmist writes, So give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east, from the west, and from the north, and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. Some set in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they 
He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them for their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind. Then lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. He made the storms be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into deserts, springs of water into thirsty ground, fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright seed and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And let's pray together. Father God, uh, we're all here before you this morning, weak and, and needy in this moment, and so we ask the Lord to take this message, overlay it by your Holy Spirit with, with fluency and fervency and and Father, I ask that with by that same Holy Spirit that you would open the ears of those listening, that you would give grace for uh, full attention and clarity of thought and application to conscience. And do all of this, Father, we ask through Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you remember, we uh, had started this little mini-series back in Psalm 104 that recounted our origins in the special creation of God in Genesis chapter 1. We moved on from there into Psalm 105 that directed us to some of the earliest examples of God calling men and women out of their ordinary everyday existence and into a life of purpose and of meaning as he worked out his sovereign will, not only in them, but through the things that happened to them. Then last Sunday in Psalm 106, we saw the implications of the moral law that God handed down at Mount Sinai and the, uh, the vital role that objective truth and moral absolutes uh, play in our lives. And today, uh, today's psalm brings that series to a close as we consider the, the final chapters, at least humanly speaking, uh, of our lives on this temporal plane of existence and really the process of a meaningful destiny beyond it. One where our, our story doesn't just end abruptly, but that continues to be written in the world to come. And that, that analogy, I think, is a good way for us to, uh, to pull this all together and to realize, if, if you hadn't before, 
that, that the Bible, although it's composed of 66 books uh, transcribed by 40 authors uh, on three continents over about 1,500 years, guys, it's just one story. It's just one story. One story with one author, one hero, one plot line, and that plot line is the grand narrative of the redemption of fallen, sinful mankind through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, and today's psalm, I think, really laid that out very clearly with a blunt description of our human condition. Remember, we just read, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction, and they drew near to the gates of death. And that pretty much sums it up, right? Because, you know, no, no matter who you are or where you come from, the experience of death is the great equalizer, isn't it? No, nobody's exempt from it. Wealth and power can't dissuade it. It cannot be bought off or bribed. Can't outrun it. Can't outsmart it. Uh, no medical discoveries or miracle medications will ever finally defeat it. And, and although you, you may choose to ignore it or, or even deny it for a while, but, but church, when death calls, we all have to answer. And, and since we know that's true, uh, we do well to be prepared, right? And folks, this book, this book is the only thing that can help you do that. Amen. Right? Just, just the Bible. Uh, and more than just help us prepare for the actual moment of death itself, but provide the answer to that greatest of mysteries and most important pillar of our worldview, what's next? Right? What's next? What happens after we die? And you know, try as they might, science can't help us with this. Now they may have the power, uh, science may have the power to describe the process of dying, but even the greatest researchers have no knowledge about what happens to you one second after you actually die. Uh, and we can't get the answer from philosophy or from history either. And, and I'll tell you, even if you hang out with a half a dozen medical examiners at the morgue or you have a, a friend who's a funeral director, uh, all, all they can tell you for certain is that their offices and exam rooms are full of dead people who were once alive. That's it. And, and I've, I've had my share of encounters uh, with, with death and dying, not only in this uh, last year with my parents, but really in the, the whole course of ministry. This, guess what? It's only been almost six years um, in the course of ministry and hospital visitations. But there's, there's one really in particular, uh, one encounter that I want to share with you that I really think makes my point for me today about destiny. Uh, and this is not a, a confidential story because I... I shared it at her memorial, and the, the couple involved are both passed. Uh, but for those of you who, uh, who knew her, I'm talking about Barbara Miller. Uh, and the last visit that I spent with her before she died, it was over here in the, the hospice house here in town. Have you guys ever been over there? It's really, really peaceful, very, very beautiful, very dignified place for someone to pass. And uh, she, she was having a decent day. She was really calm and... She was still completely lucid, and really the only barrier to talking with her was this uh, full-face oxygen mask that she had on, but that was really, that was no big deal, and we talked, and, you know, I couldn't tell you honestly that I can remember exactly what all we talked about specifically, but one thing she said, one phrase really stands out clearly in my mind, and she said to me, I only want to die once. 
said, I only want to die once. And now, she, she said that in response to us talking about her, her medical treatments and her possible options for more surgeries, and so I, I took her to mean that she didn't want to run the risk uh, of dying on the operating table and then maybe to be revived to a condition that was potentially worse than what she was already in, and then, of course, to realize that she was still going to have to die again eventually. But, you know, as I said, that, that phrase really stuck in my mind. I could almost see and hear her saying it now because, guys, the idea, the promise, really, of, of only having to die once is one of the greatest promises that God's people have. And, and, and we see it all through the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. Like today in Psalm 107 that tells us that the Israelites, they, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. And notice that doesn't say that they wouldn't die, but rather that when they did die, that God would bring them out and that he'd be the one to shatter death's doors and to burst its locks and, and bust its bonds, right? And if you take that idea and then you, you jump to the New Testament, to the book of Revelation, uh, it, it picks up that theme, puts it like this in Revelation uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And both of, of those texts, are, are Psalm and, and Revelation, and all the scriptures in between, really points to and confirms for us that in the final analysis, you are either born twice and die once, or you're born once and die twice. And it, it's really very simple if you think about it, meaning if you are born again, if you've experienced the second birth by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior you will only have to endure the singular experience of physical death and then you'll live forever in the blessedness of God's kingdom. But, but if, you're, if you're only born once, if you're only born into the world of humanity and you're, you're never born again by the Holy Spirit of God, you will not experience, uh, not only experience the death of the physical body, but you will experience the second living death of eternal punishment in hell. Because brothers and sisters, no matter... Who you are, death is not the end of the story. It, it's not the end of my story, and it's not the end of your story. You're just going to move on from one plane of existence to another. You're just going to pull up stakes and move on. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, and then Paul says parenthetically, just so we know, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Amen. You know, the Bible says that our bodies are like tents. Uh, and all I have to do is look in the mirror to see that because they sag and they wrinkle and, and they get creaky and the, the connections weaken and, and eventually they wear out because through our connection to Adam's fall, the, the actual structure of our cells are literally programmed to die. And, and one day after a life of, of groaning and sighing and restless weariness in this fast-paced world, we will leave behind this temporary tent and settle into a permanent home and an eternal destiny. And I want you to think about this with me. Think about 
just in your mind the difference between a tent and a building, a home, right? Tents are what? They're, they're temporary. They're, they're flimsy. They're easily knocked over. They're meant to be replaced. But a building, right? a building's strong. Houses are built on a foundation. They're not meant to be moved. Right? They speak of permanence. And that idea tells us some pretty important things about death, and namely, death is not reincarnation. Death is not evaporation. Death is not annihilation. But for us as believers, church, it is a glorified continuation. Because one day we will trade our broken down old tents, these, these old bodies, for a perfected new one. And, and what did Paul say about that new body? He said that it's one from God. That it's not made with human hands. That it's eternal. That it's heavenly. It's not earthly. And guys, that's not wishful thinking. It's a promise. That's what Paul means when he says in that verse, we know. Because there's a whole lot of things we don't know about the future. But this much is certain. We won't have to live in these tents forever because, church, we have someplace permanent to be. And just as Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper, you remember, Jesus said in, in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Th through that one exclusive path. That's why we read today in Psalm 107, it says then they, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. And watch this, he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. And let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Because you see, death for a child of God, it might mean sadness for us, but for them it's a homecoming. It's exactly what I said at Barbara's memorial, because this world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and before long we're all going to be going home. Uh, someday that highway of life is going to bring us across the valley of the shadow of death, uh, where saints and angels are, are waiting to welcome us, and when we come to the end of life's journey, the Lord himself will be there. Not because of anything external that he saw in us, not because of who we were or, or what we did or didn't do, not because we observed the rites and the rituals of the church, but because our trust was in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But that offer is conditional. It's conditional on having a personal relationship with God, and the good news is you can do that right now. You can do it right here. You can claim a relationship today with a God that knows your heart and that feels your pain, and better yet, with his son, who didn't just sit idly by and watch the world go to hell, but he did something about it, even though it cost him his life. And if, if you're someone here today, if you, if you claim by faith today that Jesus' death on the cross was for you and was in your place, you can look forward with hope too. Hope in an eternal destiny where no sickness and no sorrow and no separation can ever touch us again. Uh, it's a place where the elect of God will be, as we read this morning, gathered from the lands, as Psalm 107 says, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Uh, and they were glad he brought them to their desired haven in that great 
future day when the Lord finally gathers those of us who've called on Jesus for salvation, gathers us together in the new Jerusalem where we'll, we'll find gathered around his throne people from every tongue and tribe and nation who've been delivered from all of our, our lives of depression and oppression. Where we'll be freed from the coercion of Satan, where we'll be freed from the power and the guilt of sin and finally united in perfect fellowship with each other and in unhindered communion with Almighty God. And we'll be there ready to hear him say in the word of Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He'll dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Do you know, you guys know this, when someone, when someone we love dies, what do we say? They, they passed away, right? But our confidence this morning is that if we are in Christ, that a day is coming when the Bible says that death itself will pass away. And that even though we've had to pass through it, church, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come in Jesus Christ, our hope and our future, because for those who trust in him, Psalm 107 says, even when they were diminished and brought low through oppression and evil and sorrow, he raises up the needy out of affliction, and the upright see it and are glad. And for the rest, well, all wickedness shuts its mouth. Because in that moment, in, in those courts of heaven, every unknown will be revealed and every critic will be silenced by finally answering in him, in Christ, all the questions of life, the questions of origin and of meaning and morality and destiny are going to be found in all of their fullness in Jesus Christ. And guys, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful uh, that in all the craziness of this world, all the, the lostness and, and confusion and... Um, this lack of understanding, we thank you that the vision of your Son makes all of these things clear. And so we ask, Father, in this moment, if there's uh, even one person on this campus or even one person listening that you would... Oh gosh, I just love those words of the, the hymn writer today. Give us the room. Father, give us the house. Give us uh, all who listen, not for ourselves, but for the, the glory of your kingdom, uh, for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we ask, Lord, that you would uh, just make your presence so real for any doubting soul in this moment. Uh, and you would allow your sheep to hear your voice, and your name would be glorified through Christ. Amen.